It's good to be here with you again. If you've got a bad memory like I do, it's almost a year since I was with you guys, and it is a privilege to be here once again. I am not Scottish, I am Irish. <laughs> Just getting that straight out of the gate, okay? We do wear silly skirts, but it's okay. It's all good. Last time I was here, you had a huge meal for me, and it was great. What happened this time? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just teasing. It is really good to be with you. I, get, I bring greetings from Emmanuel Baptist Church. I am a member there. Uh, we pray for you guys often. You have a special place in our heart. It's really encouraging for me to get away from IBC and see a group of believers in a different place worshiping the same God. It's so, so encouraging. So can I encourage you to press on, keeping the faith, and as we're going to hear today, God doesn't forget any of us. Thank you for reading Genesis chapter 8. I was going to read it, but I don't have to now, so it's, that's very kind of you. So we'll just get straight into it. It's good to be remembered. Always nice to be remembered. To receive a card on your birthday or when you're in hospital that lets someone know that you're being thought of or that you're being remembered. Today, you fathers, I'm sure it was nice to receive your breakfast in bed. Some of them are going, nope. Shame on you children. Come on. It's nice to be remembered. It's nice to wake up this morning, fathers, and have those special homemade cards sitting waiting for you and whatever else. On the 11th month, on the 11th day, at the 11th hour, the whole of the United Kingdom where I am from, will come to a complete standstill for two whole minutes. Why is that? It's our Remembrance Day. It's a day when we as a country remember the men and women who fought in the world wars and various other wars. We would often read this poem. It says this, They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. In this wonderful country, you do the same thing on Memorial Day. Memorial Day or Declaration Day is a federal holiday in the United States for remembering again the people who died while serving in the country's armed forces. In the text that we've just read this morning in Genesis, we have what might be called the first Memorial Day. A day of remembrance. A day in verse 1 when it says, But God remembered Noah. God remembered him. It's the first mention in the Bible of God remembering something or remembering someone. But it's by no means the last one, as we'll see. This text comes to us in the context of the biblical account of the great flood. We were to ask our children, what is the great flood? They could probably rhyme it off, maybe better than we could. But in the first eight verses of chapter 6 of Genesis, we're giving something of an introduction to the flood narrative. The rest of chapter 6 focuses upon the preparations for the flood. In chapter 7, the flood comes. And here in chapter 8, the focus is upon the flood now receding or going away. And it's the beginning of a new world. Through God's servant, Noah, who, together with his family and all those animals, 
were spared by the means of that great ark that God, that God had commanded Noah to build. God told Noah to build that ark for the saving of himself and his household. Noah believed. And Noah trusted God. And God told him exactly what to do. Just before the flood came, God commanded Noah and all those animals to enter in two by two, as the song would go for the children. And when Noah and his family and all those animals were safely in, it wasn't Noah who closed the door. It wasn't the people outside who closed the door. The Bible tells us that God shut the door of the ark. Chapter 7 ends with these words, And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Full stop. As we come to our text this morning in chapter 8, for 150 days Noah and his family have been in that ark floating above the earth. What on earth must have been going through his mind? Their minds. What would have gone through your mind or mine? We can't really know for sure, but we can have some sanctified imagination and think about it. Here were eight people still alive. They were floating in this coffin-like box of a ship and they just witnessed something unimaginable. It was catastrophic. It was something that this world today has never seen. We have no idea what it was like. Every living thing upon the earth had been destroyed just as God had said. What were they thinking? They may have thought that it was a sense of vindication. God had done just as he had warned that he would do. No, no one would listen to Noah. But in the end, Noah was right. Remember, time and time again, Noah warned these people, hey, there's a flood coming. God is going to rain judgment. What was their response? They mocked him and they laughed at him. But Noah probably also felt a sense of privilege and a great sense of peace and a great sense of comfort. The fact that God had protected him. God had saved him and his wife and his children and all the animals. And then at the same time, there must have been a sense of awe and trepidation. Way, way, way down in the waters lay the ruins of dead and the buried world. Everyone they knew was now dead. Neighbors, aunts, Uncles, cousins, schoolmates, friends, everyone. Every single person was dead except them. They alone had been saved. They alone had had the saving power of God upon them. At times Noah probably wondered, why me? Why was I chosen? Think of the words of that hymn that we love to sing. Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. Out of all the thousands of people that were alive at that time, why was Noah so special? Why was he so different? Why? Well, we know the answer. The only answer that's given is way back in chapter 6 where it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The same thing that if we are in Christ Jesus and God looks upon us, 
he sees the grace of Christ abiding in us, just like Noah. There was nothing special about Noah. He didn't have a cool accent like me. Maybe he did, I don't know. Certainly wasn't as handsome as I am, but there was nothing special about Noah at all. You've got to understand that. And Noah as a person himself, he wasn't special. But he was in God's eyes because of grace. There must also have been a thought in Noah's head, what's going to happen next? Okay, us sitting here today in this church, in this building, we know the outcome. But go all the way back to Noah and the boat and take out all the knowledge that you have, what was going on in his head. What on earth is going to happen next? What's going to happen? What, what is going to happen to me? All that Noah had been told up until this time was that God was sent, going to send a flood, and he did. That's it. He was told to build an ark, and he did. He was told and commanded to get in the ark, and he did it. And the waters came, and the ark rose. That's it. Noah had no clue. That was the last words that Noah had from God. And he's now inside this coffin-like boat, wondering what on earth is going on. 150 days with no word from the Lord. No word from God to comfort him. No word from God to direct him or tell him, hey Noah, this is what's going to happen. He had nothing. I wonder if Noah had this nagging fear that perhaps... The Lord had forgotten him. He tried to resist it, and he tried to suppress it, but it kept roaming up in his head. Day 50, where is he? Day 60, nothing's here. Day 100, man, this doesn't look good. And his wife's probably pulling on his coattail going, hey, is there anything going to happen? Nothing. Not a word from God. But we know Praise be to God that he hadn't forgotten Noah. As we focus our, on our text this morning, it can, it can be divided up into two simple headings for those of you who take notes. First of all, Noah is remembered. Second of all, the wind. Very simple. If you can't understand my accent, I hope you got it. Noah is remembered and the wind. That's it. So verse 1. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. God remembered Noah. Here we have in these words the entire explanation of everything that's about to happen in this chapter. In fact, it's the entire explanation of the reversal of the flood. God remembered Noah. Now, you might sit there and wonder, what does that mean? Does that mean that somehow God had become so busy with the flood, so busy ruling the world and taking care of things in heaven and so on, that for a while that he completely forgot about Noah? Is that what we're saying? No, not at all. God never forgot Noah. In fact, God never remembers anything because all things are always present in his mind. He doesn't have to remember something because he knows all things at all times. I came here a year ago, and my wife joked with me on the way down. She says, do you remember anyone's name? And I was like, nope. 
So confession time right there. <laughs> I think we should all have name badges. That would be really helpful. But have, what we have here is a metaphor. It's God speaking as if he were a man. You've got to think about it this way. But it's much more than that. In English, our word remember refers to the mental recall of something. If I remember my wife's uh, birthday, it's a really good thing. If I forget it, it's okay. She's not that type of person, but <laughs> some places it can be that way. But often in Hebrew, this is a very specific language. This is what I want you to really hone in on. The language used throughout the Old Testament is to describe God acting or thinking upon a prior covenantal commitment. Something or someone or a small group that carries over into the New Testament as well. This, as we read it in verse 8, is covenant language. It speaks of God's faithfulness to his covenant. You remember that God had made an earlier promise to Noah. He established his covenant back in chapter 6. In verse 18, it says, God made a covenant with Noah right there and then. And now God is acting in that faithfulness of that covenant that he had committed to Noah way, way back. I'm sure Noah had probably forgot about it, but God didn't. That's the key. We find this over and over again in chapter 9 and, and verse 14. We see it again. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that a rainbow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant. Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage and their corruption of Canaan is said to be the result of God remembering his covenant. Exodus 2.24 says this, So God heard the groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. In Exodus 32.13, God is angry with Israel after that incident with the golden calf. And Moses intercedes in their behalf. And what's his plea? What does Moses cry out to God? He says this, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them. In other words, Moses says, God, remember your covenant. And then we come into the New Testament. At the coming of the Lord Jesus, you remember as Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, as he praises God that Christ has come, hear his words. God has raised up a horn of salvation for us to do what? To remember his holy covenant. This is covenantal language. This language is used of God and his covenant love and faithfulness, acting on behalf of who? His people. God's people. And when does he do it? He does it in response to their distress and their cries for mercy. God remembered Rachel and he opened her womb and she gave birth to Joseph. Samson, now a humble and repentant man, cries to God and judges, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. And God remembered him. He gave him strength to take down more Philistines in his death than he'd ever done in his whole life. This language that we talk about this morning is language that speaks of God's faithfulness to his promised people. His faithfulness to his covenant. It speaks of his acting on behalf of those who have cried to him and trusted in him. 
He's such a merciful God. So you see, in this sense, that God had remembered Noah, all of those months had gone since that ark door had been closed. 150 days, the ark is floating above the earth. And there's not a word from God. But God is now going to act hugely in fulfillment of his promise or his covenant. God remembered Noah. But that's all well and good for Noah. Noah was in the boat, good for him. What about us? What about us sitting here this morning? What's the application for you and me? First of all, for those of you who are in Christ, if you believe in God and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps this morning as you've walked in through that door, as you've come here and it's difficult and it's hard, you've been tossed about by a raging storm. And perhaps a painful trial has set upon you. Perhaps you're haunted by this feeling that God has forgotten you. In fact, it seems that God has not acted in any noticeable way in your life for a long, long time. Remember, please listen to this, that if you're in Christ, if you're a true believer in Christ, God is committed to you by what? A covenant. Now Merv, what does that mean? Does that mean that I have the same covenant that Noah had? No, but it's an even better one. The new covenant through the Lord Jesus Christ is one, the alarm going off, in which it promises that he will never turn away from you. He will never, ever turn away from you. It may seem to you this morning sitting here that God has forgotten you. Well, can I remind you that God has not? God has not forgotten you. He remembers you. And in due time, he'll make known to you that he has not forgotten you. How exactly does he do that? How did he remember Noah? In other words, how was it that the remembering of Noah was expressed? At this point, did he say anything? Nope. He didn't say a word. That's what we might expect. That's what we want to expect. But God doesn't speak to Noah again until the earth is completely dry, which is over a year after the flood began. He doesn't speak, but yet he remembered Noah in doing certain things. He acted. He does certain things about that situation right there. We read in verse 2 that God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. Later, Noah's given a sign for good when that dove is sent out and yes, it comes back with that small branch in its mouth or its beak. There's hope. He will speak to Noah later and sometimes he strengthens us and helps us by speaking to us. He comes to you as you read God's word. He comes to you in a, in a sermon that you hear in the Lord's day and you think, wow. That was such a powerful message. That was right for me. How did the preacher know I needed that? And it's very evident that God is dealing in your heart. But it doesn't always happen that way. And you can't dictate to God and then be disappointed when he doesn't act immediately or in the way that you thought he would. Sadly, that's being proud and thinking that you are the be-all and end-all. No, no. Sometimes he waits 
And then he shows you that he remembers. He shows you by doing certain things that happen in your life. Perhaps he will bring alongside a brother or a sister who will just sit and listen. I've seen it many times. Grown women sitting together and as they pray in the row over some difficult situation and they're drawn to tears. You might have a brother come along and text you. I was going through a hard time missing my family back home and ding, the phone goes off and a brother texts and he says, Hey Merv, I'm praying for you. God remembered Noah and he brought a wind. God remembered Elijah as he lay in that cave at Mount Carmel, exhausted and spiritually depressed. And what did he do? He gave him rest. He gave him a time to sleep and then to awaken him and he gave him a meal and then he gave him more sleep. He needed refreshment and rest and time away from the pressures. And eventually later God would speak to him in that still small voice to encourage his heart. Perhaps this morning I'm speaking to you, a child of God who thinks that you have been abandoned by God. You're adrift, as it were, upon a stormy sea and everything looks dark and dreary. Well, what do you need to do? First of all, keep trusting in the Lord. Keep putting your faith in God. God has not forgotten you. It may seem to you that he has, but God has pledged himself to you by his covenant, by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can be assured that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Secondly, I'd exhort you to be patient. Oh, this is hard to do. Noah had to be patient. He wasn't going anywhere. He'd been cooped up inside that ark with all those stinking animals and no sunlight for 150 days and not a word from the Lord. He had to be patient. still a good while after the boat and he's actually been out of the boat with his feet on dry land and and he remembers that God had not forgotten him. Sadly, we live in a world of instant. Sometimes we get cross when our internet just isn't quite fast enough. How many of us have called up and said, hey, I'm leaving. You guys aren't giving me enough download speeds. Or we change our phone because it's getting just that little bit slower. We are a world of... Today I exhort you, be a patient people. Wait and wait and wait. Psalm 27 says, 14, Wait upon the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. And then thirdly, and most importantly, pray. Here you are drifting upon that stormy sea. What do you need to do? Get on your knees and pray to God. Perhaps you're finding it difficult to pray. If you're in a hard trial and you don't know what to say, it's a simple prayer. Lord, remember me. 
That was Nehemiah's prayer. In Nehemiah 5, he was facing enormous problems. He was facing fierce opposition. People were wanting to kill him. What did he do? Nehemiah 5, 19 says this. Remember me with favor, O my God. Remember. That's all we have to do. Cry out to God and ask him to remember us. And God did remember him. And God always remembers his people. He remembers us in all of our trials, in all of our afflictions, in all of our needs. He's pledged himself to us by covenant. Think about it. If God had not remembered Noah, if our Bibles ended at Genesis 7, verse 24, it would be a sad place to be. But that's not the way God had planned it. If Noah had been lost, then the whole promise of the gospel would have been lost way back in Genesis 3.15. If Noah had gone down, then God's promise would have gone down with him. And if God's promise had gone down, God himself would have lost his honor. But that will never, ever, ever be. And so it is with you, dear Christian. God in Christ has pledged himself not to give you everything that your heart desires or to ever keep you from having trials and tribulations. No, but he has pledged himself to you in Christ that he will bring you safely all the way to glory. Is it going to be easy? No way. It's hard. It's difficult. But God is with us and he remembers us. And at the end, you will know that his promise was true. That God indeed is working all things together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Trust him. Be patient in him. Call upon him. Lord, remember me. And be assured that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. What a God we have. Boy, what about you if you're here this morning and you know nothing of Christ? You have no time for him. Perhaps his name to you is nothing more than a swear word. What application can be made to you? If you would have God to remember you, you must remember him. You must ask him to remember you for Christ's sake. Remember in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1 it says this. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Perhaps you're a child or a young person here this morning. Now. Now is the time in your youth to turn to the Lord. Now is the time to seek Christ. Now is the time to repent, believe the gospel, and be saved. Because now is the only time of certainty. You have no promise of tomorrow. No one does. Proverbs 27, 1 says it clearly. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Now is the best time. Now in your youth. The Bible implies and history and experience would confirm that 
When a person grows up in a context where the gospel is continually preached to them, and if they're not converted, sadly, some of them can slip away. It's not always the case. Praise God, it's not. We can sit under many, many years of Sunday school. I was one of them. Many years of Sunday school. Many years of preaching. Many years of my father talking the word of God to me. I said I was a Christian, but I wasn't. That was simply to appease my parents. Thankfully, God did not let me go. So can I urge you young people now, don't do it to please your mommy and daddy. Do it to please God. Don't be doing yes and no people to please them and clean your room because mommy and daddy want you to. Do it to the glory of God. But then there's also the prayer in Jonah. When my soul fainted within me, or as the NIV puts it this way, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you in your holy temple. Perhaps you're not a youth this morning. It's great when a guest preacher comes because I don't know any of you. It really is good. But perhaps you're not a youth and you're getting older and you're quickly moving through the various stages of life. How quickly time flies. And there's a sense in which you have that feeling that your life is slowly ebbing away. For some of you here this morning, it might almost be gone. But my friend, this morning you're still in the land of the living. There is still hope for you this morning. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you in your holy temple. What about you? Your life is quickly ebbing away. Will you this morning remember the Lord and cry to him and seek him while he may be found? Remember the thief on the cross. He saw it all before his mind's eye. Perhaps for the first time he realized and keenly felt about what an ungodly, sinful man that he had been. You remember on the cross that he, he rebuked that scoffing person on the other side of our Lord Jesus. And then he confessed, we are here indeed justly for we have received the due reward for our deeds. Could there be any hope for such a vile person as that? That wicked man who was hanging on that cross, not by the way that Christ was, because he was there, a sinless, perfect man. This man was there because he had done wickedly. Was there any hope? Was there any hope for a man who had wasted all his years living in sin, doing wicked and evil things? Yes. Listen to your Lord Jesus hanging next to him. He says, today I will remember you in paradise. That man was awakened in his heart and what did he do? He cried out, Lord, remember me. Remember me when you go to your kingdom. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. 
Lord, remember me. Don't forget me. Save me or I perish. My friend, this morning, take up that prayer if you're not in Christ. Perhaps it'll be the first real genuine prayer you've ever prayed. Take it up. Lord, remember me. And go on praying it. And believing that God can do a work in your heart. And soon you'll find that the Lord has heard your cry. Just as he did that thief on the cross. And just as Christ so kindly and graciously. Man, that man must have had the best feeling in the world. When Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, turned around and said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. What a feeling. But secondly, what about this wind? The text says in the second half of our verse, And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters began to subside. What on earth does that mean? The wind? Was it a windy day? Well, it's fun to look at. It says that the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. There was no more waters bursting forth from below. There was no more rain coming down from above. And as an Irishman, we've had enough of that. Rain coming from above. There's no more water coming up. There's no more water coming down. But then we also have this reference of God causing a wind to pass over the earth. It was a blowing wind. It was a wind that made the waters retreat. It was by which that those mountain peaks began to be seen. And as the water gradually came down, the earth is eventually dried. I want to draw your attention to this matter of the wind. Sometimes when we read our Bible, it's so easy to miss these things. So easy to skim over it and think, oh, it must have been a windy day. But pay careful attention to the words in your Bible that help you pick out certain threads or certain themes that weave their way through Scripture. You've got to remember who the author is here. It's not Noah writing these things, it's Moses. Moses. And there are at least two things of note about this reference of the wind. First, there seems to be an echo here of what we read off in creation. Remember in Genesis 1 verse 2 we read this, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The word spirit and the word wind are the same word here in Hebrew. It's the exact same word, and it's the exact same word that's being referred to here in chapter 8. In Genesis 1, the reference is clearly to the Spirit of God. And here, the reference is clearly to the wind. But there's still something of a wordplay, something of a parallel that we need to see. The old world has been destroyed. There's none of it left. It's gone. God is about, about to start all over again. All the mountains are there and the valleys are there and everything's still there. 
But all those people that were created are gone. Except for Noah and his family. And that's what happens in the connection with God making that wind to pass over the earth. Whether or not Moses had that parallel and wordplay in mind when he wrote that may be uncertain. But it's interesting. But there's something else. There's something else here. Something that I think Moses would have done very hard not to think upon when he read this. And that was the event in which he was later involved in. That event when the Israelites were delivered from the Egyptian bondage. That time when the children of Israel were, as it were, up against the sea. And their backs are up against it. And they can see the chariots coming over the hill. And they can see that Egyptian army heading towards them. It was a desperate, desperate situation. But we read in Exodus 14.21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. And he made the sea into dry land. Israel, in fulfillment of God's covenant to Abraham, was finally and fully delivered from Egyptian bondage. By what means? Moses' hand? The waves? No. The wind that God sent. These are very interesting parallels that I think deliberately indeed tell us and connect us to God himself. When hopelessness is there, when desperation comes, when it seems there is no hope, God delivers. You remember the vision God gave to Ezekiel, that passage that I love so much, the valley of the dry bones. God sent Ezekiel down to a valley full of bones that were dry, and he said to them, Lo, they were very dry. Must have been really dry. And God told them that this valley of dry bones was a picture of the spiritual death. Spiritual, that's the word I want you to hone on. Spiritual death. And deadness that had marked true religion at that time. There was nothing but spiritual death. And the dryness of souls that were in Israel at that time. And God said to him, son of man, can these bones live? Imagine going into a huge pile of bones and God saying, can these bones live? From a human perspective, the answer would have been, no, no way. These people are dead for a long time. But Ezekiel's reply was this, O Lord God, you know. And God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord might sound like a silly thing to do to preach to dry bones. But Ezekiel said, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. And the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over. But there was still no breath in them. And God said to him, prophesy to the breath. The word here is ruach. It's the same word here that is translated in our world and in the passage we have, wind. And it's the same one that we find in Genesis 1, spirit. 
prophesy to the wind, God said, and say to the wind, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O wind, and breathe on these slain, that they might live. And Ezekiel says that while he was preaching, the breath came into those dried bones, and they lived, and they stood up, and they were a great army. It was a picture. It was a picture that God was giving and what God can do when he saves sinners and he revives his church. He sends a wind. God later on says, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to live. This is what God promises to do for lost sinners in the new covenant by the power of his spirit through the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. God says, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take that heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. You see this theme of the wind bringing order out of chaos and giving you life continues throughout all of Scripture. What God did when he delivered Noah from the flood and brought him out into new life and into a new world happens every time a sinner comes to Christ. That valley of dry bones perhaps was some of you. There was no life in you. Your bones, as it were, were scattered all over the ground. And a gospel preacher, a friend, a work colleague preached to you the gospel, just like Ezekiel did. And those bones started to come together. And the sinews started to form. And the flesh was on the outside. And then God breathed into you. And give you new life. Took away that heart of stone. And gave you a heart of flesh. The same is true in the Red Sea. The redemption of God's people of Israel. From Egypt. Is a picture of a greater redemption. The deliverance of God's people from sin. And from all their enemies. Of their souls. God breathed new life into them. See, this thread weaves its way right into the New Testament. Think about the day of Pentecost. 120 disciples were sitting in that room, a motley crew. They had no money, no clout. They had no means of mass advertising. They couldn't go on Facebook or Instagram and send out a tweet or anything else. No, they were common, ordinary people. But what were they doing? They were praying and they were waiting for the Lord, just as he had commanded. They waited for weeks, thinking, no doubt, about the awesome task that had been set before them. Christ told them to go into all the world, not just down the street, not just up the road, but go into all the world and make disciples. 
Don't just leave them there. Baptize them and add them to the church. How in the world could they do this? 120 people. If I said to you now, you're to go into all the world, give up everything you have and go into all the world and tell everyone of Christ. There are ways in which we can do it that they couldn't. It seemed like an impossible task. It was an impossible task. But then the day of Pentecost came. And what was the signal that God was about to do something? Suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind. And the Spirit fell upon them, and the Christian church was born on that day. And here it is today. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood to preach to men and to women, and he cut them to the very heart. What with? It wasn't a sword, a physical sword, but a spiritual sword. The Word of God. And on that day, 3,000 souls were converted. They repented. They put their trust in Christ and their sins were forgiven. They were baptized and added to various churches. And do you know what? The same spirit that fell upon those people that day is the same spirit that we have today. It's the same Holy Spirit that abides in His church today. You are a result of that mighty wind coming upon those 120 people. Praise God. Through His power and through the prayers of God's people and the preaching of the gospel, men and women can be delivered from spiritual darkness and raised to walk in newness of life. Remember what Jesus said in John 3, 8. He said, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is a lesson that I want us all to see this morning. God acts. God acts in the context of human helplessness. We can do nothing to save ourselves. We can do nothing, as it were, to save our children. God acts, and God comes upon that wind coming upon them. Here he does it literally in the case of Noah. Here God remembered Noah. Literally. Yeah, I was scared too. <laughs> and Noah and his family, they step out of that ark. The door drops down. They walk out. Do they walk out two by two? I would doubt it. I would think if it was me cooped up in that thing and it was smelly, I'd be out of that like, boof, see ya. And they're into the new world and the sun hits their face. But what is it all of? It's all of grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace. And what did Noah do when he found that grace? He obeyed. 
and he listened and he acted. And then when he got out of the ark, what did he do? He built an altar. He worshipped, exactly. That is why we're here this morning, to worship our God. Some of you this morning may have been cooped up in an ark all week. Some of you mothers are looking after children. And this is the, probably the best time you can, you can send them off and they can run and play. But it's difficult. Life is hard. You fathers are out working hard to provide for your family. You feel like you're cooped up in an ark. Just keeps going and going and going. This is the day when the door falls down and we can come and worship our God. This is the best day of the week. It's not a day of don'ts. It's a day of do's. The day of coming here, singing to God. I have actually found a new hymn. That last one we sung, I'd never heard of it before. Oh, it's a favorite of mine now. We come to worship God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God literally sent that wind. He could hear it. He could see it working. That spirit that blows upon the hearts of the sinners, we perhaps can't see, but we sure can pray that God will send it. My friend, whoever you are here this morning, there is hope. You're not lost. You're not abandoned. If you're in Christ, God is with you this very day. If you're not in Christ, God can be with you this very day. Not through 25 steps. One way. Christ. Repent and believe. It's as simple as that. You might go, Merv, that's all right saying that, my friend, but there is no hope for me. There is. You're locked, as it were, in a tomb of sin. Just as Noah was shut up in that ark for so many days, you too think, man, I'm locked into an ark of sin. I'm addicted to all kinds of evil. All I do is be angry and cross. And my pride gets the better of me time and time and time again. And you think, man, that door's locked and I can't get out. I can't overcome it. There's no use. I'm lost and helpless. Perhaps you didn't think if you stay in that condition that you're going to hell. My friend, this morning there is hope for you. The God who caused that wind to blow over the earth to subside those waters is the same God who can come to you this morning and cause a wind to blow in your heart and make you alive unto Christ. This morning, cry to him, Lord, remember me. That's my only hope. What hope do I have? That the Lord will remember me. Lord, have mercy upon me and save my soul. Veritas, can I encourage you this morning? You're a band of small people. You're like the people of Pentecost. You're a motley crew. You're all shapes and sizes. You all look different. You all act different. You all do things differently. You irritate each other. It's all right. 
Can I encourage you? The God who came to Pentecost is the God who comes here with you. God can use you in many, many different spheres. He doesn't have to send you to the uttermost parts of the earth. Go into your work tomorrow. Tell them where you were. Tell them you heard an Irishman who almost gave you a heart attack with his microphone. <laughs> but tell them of Christ. Tell them the good news. Do not hide these things in your heart. Be of good courage. Be of good cheer. Be joyful. Mondays can sometimes be the hardest day of the week. But why? Shouldn't be. We've just had a day worshiping our great God. We should be leaping through the week. By Saturday, yeah, we should be depressed. But then we should be looking for the Lord's Day. So it goes in circles. But God can use you. He can use any of you. If you're finding him to spread the gospel. Why is that so important? Because without it, people will go to hell. Be that wind. Be that wind that we see here. That wind that abided in Christ abides in you. Believer, this morning, be encouraged. God remembers you. He knows all about your work here. He knows that each and every one of you, he knows the very hair on your head. The God who remembered Noah. The God who remembered Noah in Genesis chapter 8 verse 1 is the same God who remembers you. Let us all be like Noah this morning and serve and worship our great God. But tell it to others. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We do thank you for the glimpses that we can see many times of how great and awesome a God you are. Just in one verse, we can see that you're a God who not only remembered Noah, but you did a work. And you're the God who can remember us and do a mighty work in our hearts. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this gathering here. We do thank you for this church. What an encouragement that is to our souls to see men and women who hunger and thirst after righteousness. May you bless this place. May you increase their faith. May you increase their love for you. And may you help them as they go into their workplaces, into their neighborhoods, into their schools, wherever they are, help them to proclaim your truth. For those here this morning who know you not, dear Lord, we do ask that you would do a saving work upon this place. As your gospel message has gone forth, may you in your kindness take away the blindness. May you give some lost sinner here a new heart. And may you increase their hunger and their desire to worship you, our true living God. God, remember us. Amen.